0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the one and only SeanSports.Podcast. Uh, this is episode number 415. I am coming at you from the one and only Los Angeles, California. And today is a pretty special day, actually, now that I uh, think about it. Well, first of all, we have a massive UFC event tonight, UFC 295. Uh, the main event being Alex Pereira versus Yuri Prohoshka for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship of the World. That's an unbelievable fight. Uh, Prohashka is seeking to regain the belt that used to be his, while Pereira is seeking to uh, join only a handful of people in being two-division UFC champions. It's unreal. He started off the year by knocking out Israel Adesanya, Adesanya, as Ariel Helwani likes to say, at Madison Square Garden, where he is fighting tonight for the middleweight UFC middleweight championship, ending Adesanya's long-time long, ter- long time reign. Uh, but then Adesanya got his get-back, knocking out Pereira to regain the belt, which then he would ultimately go on to lose to Sean Strickland, who Pereira knocked out in the first round easily because of his obscene power catching Strickland. But Pereira, uh, he's seeking to become a two-division UFC champion, which is insane considering he only has like 10 pro MMA fights. It's obscene uh he's pretty amateurish you know when it comes to the overall s- scheme of MMA but his power is so raw and he's such a warrior and he has such heart and he- he- this is an unbelievable fight it was supposed to originally be Jon Jones versus Stipe Miocic for the UFC heavyweight championship of the world but Jon Jones got injured so this became the new main event instead and the co-main is now a battle of top heavyweights in the, the United Kingdom's Tom Aspinall Versus Russia's Sergey Pavlovich, that is going to be a banger. Neither one of those guys has ever seen the third round in the UFC. So that fight is going to end soon. It's going to be an exciting night of fights. Before I get into the next uh, phase of this episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Crimson IT. If you or someone you know has a smaller medium-sized company that needs managed IT services, go to CrimsonIT.com tell them that you found them from me the sean sports.podcast and they'll hit, they'll hook you up they'll take care of you they do cybersecurity as well uh so with that said let's get right into it starting with some nba let's start with some nba uh you think it's too early to piece together a wish list for nba trade season nah <laughs> Rest assured, the league's decision-makers don't, even if they don't plan on brokering a blockbuster deal anytime soon. Trade talks typically don't start picking up until mid-December at the earliest. They are already assessing what they might need and where they might find it. So let's dig into the association's world of wheeling and dealing to build a big board for the current trade market. While we have to project which players will become available between now and the February 8th trade deadline, We'll exclude pie-in-the-sky targets like Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell, and Trey Young, at least until those players give us reason not to. What you will find, though, is a batch of players who have either generated trade buzz before or realistically could in the near future. Beyond that, we'll rank the top 10 targets based on everything from ability and potential impact to contract situations and adaptability. So starting off with Buddy Heald of the Indiana Pacers, this guy is in trade rumors every single season. Um... He's 30 years old. His uh, remaining contract is, one, is $18.6 million over one year. He'll throws fireballs that might impress the Mario brothers, and his perimeter shot is about as wet as any you'll find from a non-splash brother. Three-pointers, as you may have heard, a timer 2,000 are still the range in the modern NBA, and the 30-year-old sharpshooter can supply them in droves. Dating back to 2016-17, Heald's first season in the league, he has 1,731 triples, or the most from anyone not named Stephen Curry. His 40.2% connection rate also ranks 6th among the 53 players with 800 3s over this stretch of time. Any win now team uh, with a shooting shortage would have to give Heald a long look, assuming Indiana makes him available. Given his age and contract status, that feels like a safe assumption to make, um, the lakers have been linked to him every year you know every trade deadline buddy healed and miles turners in the lakers um so the lakers shoot terribly from three so that would be a great fit but the pacers if they don't view themselves as contenders this season they should absolutely trade buddy healed um especially since he's an impending free agent next up we got bojan bogdanovich of the detroit pistons he's 34 years old so he's not a spring chicken Uh, and his remaining contract is $39 million over two years. He has a partial guarantee for 2024-25. Bogdanovich hasn't done much this season beyond posing for media day portraits, as a calf strain has prevented him from hitting the hardwood so far. Assuming there are no ill effects from this ailment whenever he makes it back, though, teams won't hold this absence against him. Assuming good health, teams would know what to expect from him. He's a rock-solid complementary scorer, um, averaging a career 15.6 points a game with a reliable outside shot, shooting 39.4% in his career and a pinch of creation in his bag as well. He's also he's limited on the defensive end though as he's not the f- fleetest afoot or any kind of notable leaper. Still, that profile could interest any offensive needy contender, especially if the still rebuilding Pistons set a reasonable asking price in trade talks. Detroit set its minimum starting point at an unprotected first round pick last season per The Athletic, but that could have dropped since as this is the final fully guaranteed season left on Bogdanovich's deal. So they would certainly rather get something for him, even if it's less than they would want, than nothing at all with him leaving in free agency. Next up, we got Jeremy Grant of the Portland Trailblazers. He's 29 years old. And, uh, well, he has $160 million over five years remaining on his contract, as well as a player option for 2027-28. There is so much to like about Grant as a trade target. At least that's true for whichever teams can get over the sticker shock of the contract that he signed this summer. That's a massive amount to pay the long athletic swingman well into his 30s. For a select number of buyers, though, the price could be right. Especially if it's factored into his trade cost. The Damien lillard Les Blazers find themselves on the extreme end of a long-term rebuild and might find it much easier to navigate without Grant's deal chewing up so much of the cap. Some combination of long-term financial relief and drive considerations could be enough for Portland to bite uh clubs who can afford grant could get a ton of mileage out of a trade his offensive numbers have been inflated by suiting up for some bad teams in portland and Detroit. but his true calling is that of a defensive game wrecker who can uh, finish his share of offensive plays in a support scoring role he's overpaid but an all-purpose defensive stopper with some offensive utility is something just about every good team could use speaking of the blazers next up is malcolm brogdon who's 30 years old and he has two 45 million dollars over two years remaining on his contract Neither the rebuilding Blazers nor the veteran Brogdon have pushed each other for a trade so far. In fact, they've spoken about keeping the partnership going, saying, quote, I've had conversations with the Blazers front office and with Coach Chauncey Billups. They want me here. I want to be here. He told reporters at training camp, there's a lot of misleading information out there about they need to trade me or I want to go. Right now, I'm trying to make the most of my opportunity. That's really what it is. Maybe Portland and Brogdon are seeing something the rest of us are missing. Maybe they're, you know, just misleading the media. Uh, he should be contributing to playoff pursuits. The Blazers aren't ready to make, and the minutes he's getting should go to young players who will remain with this franchise for the long haul. So, if he isn't already on the market, he should get there soon. Once he does, competitive teams with holes in the backcourt will give him a long look. His health, his health history dings his value, but I mean, he's only cleared the seventy-game mark once. But his versatility and reasonable uh, pay rate keeps him out of the clearance section. He can handle either guard spot on both ends of the floor, so he's a good you know, contending, excuse me, a good role player for a contending team to have. Next up, you have DeMar DeRozan, who is 34 years old, you know, he's a veteran, and he has $28.6 million uh, with one year left on his contract. The Bulls have so far resisted all of the external calls for a teardown. And in fact, they've even held preliminary extension talks with DeMar DeRozan per ESPN. At some point, though, you'd think all parties involved would come to their senses and realize that their futures would be best spent apart. Whenever that happens, the trade market will be ready for Derozan. Well, a certain section of it will be anyway. Future-focused shoppers will obviously have no use for a 34-year-old rental, but when right now buyers should have ample interest in his scoring punch, playmaking prowess, and ability to deliver in big moments. Uh, he had the second most clutch points in 2021-22. His shot diet may feel dated, as his 2.1 three-point attempts per outing this season are the third most of his career. But it works for him. He can drive, dish, and dominate from the mid-range, and when all else fails. He can get to the free throw line as well, at will. His 6,787 career free throw attempts are the fourth fourth most since he entered the NBA in 2009. Obviously, any team could use a guy like DeMar DeRozan. Next up, also in the Chicago Bulls, the one and only bald mamba Alex Caruso. He's only 29 years old, and he has only $19.4 million over two years remaining on his contract with a partial guarantee for 2024-25. Caruso's name might carry the least sizzle of anyone on this list. Um, that's what leaving the Lakers does to you. But his game provides the kind of substance that winning teams feel night after night. So if you're at all surprised to see him you know, on this list, just know that if he landed anywhere else, he would have moved up, not down. Quote, coveted is a good word for him. If you want to make a trade tomorrow, they could trade Alex Caruso. An Eastern Conference executive told Heavy Sports, half the teams in the league would be there with an offer. Caruso's numbers are quiet as he's averaging 7.8 points, 3.9 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. But his impact can be booming. An all-defensive first-teamer last season, he's a full-throttle hustler who always finds himself in the right place at the right time. Historically, his teams have fared 6.4 points better per 100 possessions with him than without. We're sticking with the Chicago Bulls. I think they should tear it down. Zach Levine, he's only 28 years old. That's pretty crazy how young he still is. And he has $178.1 million over four years remaining on his contract with a player option for 2026-27. While Caruso might have some suitors, Levine's would be more aggressive, no doubt. That's because while Caruso can subtly strengthen a team, Levine has the potential to actually transform one and possibly even lead one as well. Uh, Conditions would have to be near perfect for that to happen, though. A sooner must have significant enough issues on the offensive end to overlook Levine's shortcomings on defense. Uh, They would also have to believe his previous knee problems are fully behind him. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, they would need to be financially flexible enough to stomach his colossal contract. If all of those boxes could be checked, though, he would be a spectacular get for someone. Few players can match his offensive productivity. He's one of only five players to average at least 24 points, four assists, and two and a half three-pointers each of the past four seasons. He could be a real find for someone, provided the Bulls actually make him available. For the time being, though, they, quote, have no intention of trading Levine anytime soon, per the Chicago Sun-Times. I think they should reevaluate their stance on that. Next up, OG Ananubi of the Toronto Raptors. He's only 26 years old and he has $38.6 million remaining um, over two years with a player option for 2024-25. If each NBA front office had to pick a top target among all realistic trade candidates, Ananubi could be the most popular choice. He offers plug and play potential for any contender in the wing market and he's just young enough that rebuilders who've seen some flashes from their on-hand talent might give him some consideration as well. He's about as close to universally appealing as a non-star can get. He is the defensive answer to almost any offensive problem, and his own offensive game has shown near-perpetual growth. Early signs suggest this could be his best offensive season yet, as he's not only pumping in a career-high 17.6 points a game, but he's also doing so while posting a personal best connection clip from the field at 55.3% and from three at 41.7. That is very high for a big man, um, for anyone, but especially a big man. Quote, I don't just play one way, he told reporters recently. I never thought of myself just as a defensive guy. I see myself as a two-way player. I work hard on offense, too. It's possible an Anubis' two-way game is too great for Toronto to give up, though. It's also possible the Raptors don't want to cover the cost of his upcoming contract or risk losing him for nothing. It would take a fortune to get him. Uh, Three first-round picks were not enough at the deadline. But a not insignificant number of teams might feel that he's worth it, and they might be right on that, too. Um, Next up, Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's only 27 years old still, but he has $258.7 million left on his contract over five years. Including Towns on this list might rile up some folks in Minnesota, given the Timberwolves' impressive start. While the team has sprinted out of the gate, though, the big fella has, by his standards, face-planted. His shooting rates from the field at 42.2 and from three at 30.8 are easily the worst of his career and the same holds true for his 13-player efficiency rating. The Wolves have the frontcourt depth to get by without him and they could really stand to shed his salary and fetch whatever draft assets they could bring back. He's already on the radar of the New York Knicks and other star-searching squads might be similarly watching him closely. Uh, While his fit in the Gopher State has seemingly soured, he still has an immense amount of offensive ability to provide someone Uh, get him in the right setting with protection on defense and spacing on offense and his game can can shine he's a three-time all-star and two-time all-nba honoree for a reason when he has room to operate he's a three-level scorer and a secondary playmaker as a 6'11 248 pounder no less that contract keeps him out of the top spot but some non-destination franchises could see it in a more favorable light since he'd offer long-term security and plays a style that should age gracefully and lastly we have pascal siakam of the toronto raptors he's only 29 years old and he has $37.9 million over one year on his contract. It's entirely possible Toronto keeps Siakam north of the border all season, as well as OG Anubi. Uh, that's how the Raptors handled Fran Van Vliet when he was on an expiring contract last season after all. Then again, they then saw Van Vliet skip town in free agency this summer and got back nothing in return, so maybe they learned a lesson, and maybe they didn't. Well, or it's simply ready to hand the keys over to Scotty Barnes, uh, who sure looks ready to take the wheel. In other words, Siakam could land on the trade market at any moment, and the second he does, the Raptors should be flooded with offers. He has been the number two option on a championship team before. He has twice landed on an all-NBA roster, and he has been a top-10 finisher in MVP voting, 10th in the 2019-20 season. He has also amassed some of the most stuffed stat sheets uh, this league has seen. Between between 2020-21 and 2022-23, he averaged 23 points, 8 rebounds, over 5 assists, and over a steal a game. Only five other players had a 2275 7 5 line over the stretch. Four are former MVPs, and the fifth looks like a future one in Luka Doncic. Siakam is special. There's no doubt about it. He may not be a tier one superstar, but he is a certified star, a bona fide star. And in the current pool of realistic trade candidates, that puts him atop my big board right now. So those are my potential uh, you know, trades in the NBA. Now let's switch gears to the NFL. Joshua Dobbs had an iconic moment in his first appearance for the Minnesota Vikings in week nine, but the 28 year old quarterback was not expecting to be playing for another team this season. In an interview with Fox 9 in Minneapolis St. Paul, Dobbs said Arizona Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon initially said after their week eight game against the Baltimore Ravens that he would remain the starting quarterback. He also said he was told the following day that he was not going to be traded, even though Clayton Toon would be getting the start in week nine. That's pretty crazy and fucked up if true. The Cardinals wound up trading Dobbs and a 2024 7th round pick to the Vikings for a 2024 6th round pick on October 31st, hours before the NFL trade deadline. Minnesota was in need of a quarterback after Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles in the 4th quarter of a 24-10 win over the Green Bay Packers in Week 8. It was not a surprise that Arizona traded Dobbs, especially after it announced that Toon would be starting in Week 9. Even though Gannon may have assured him no deal was going to happen, it didn't make sense for the Cardinals to keep him with Kyler Murray getting ready to return from a torn ACL. There was no expectation that Dobbs was going to play for the Vikings against the Atlanta Falcons in Week 9. I mean, per ESPN, Dobbs didn't take a single rep in practice leading up to the game and didn't know the names of most of his teammates. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, When rookie Jaron Hall who started against the Falcons, left the game with a concussion. Dobbs had to gather Minnesota's five starting offensive linemen to run through the team's cadences so they would have at least some familiarity together. Dobbs told reporters that head coach Kevin O'Connell had to translate calls and map out plays while he was in the middle of the huddle because he didn't have time during the week to get familiar with them. Pretty crazy. The Vikings managed to make it make it work by pulling off a 31-28 win over the Falcons by scoring 21 points in the second half. Dobbs finished 20-30 of 30 for 158 yards and two touchdowns. It was Minnesota's fourth consecutive victory and kept the team in the number seven seed in the NFC playoff race. So, what a story this was. This was uh, what a moment from Joshua Dobbs. What a story he has. Uh, so impressive. But really fucked up on the Cardinals' part if they told him that they weren't trading him and then traded him pretty much immediately after. Um, now, let's talk about some more football. Colorado is always in the headlines. Quarterback Shadur Sanders became the latest person involved with the Buffalo's football team to fuel the wrath of the University of Colorado's parking police on Thursday. According to uh, Buffs Beat, Peyton Kraft of Colorado Sports Information Department posted a since-deleted video on social media showing a boot or wheel clamp on Sh- Shadour Sanders' Rolls-Royce vehicle. Deion Sanders, primetime, who is Shadour's father and the Buffalo's head coach, memorably received a ticket in September for a parking violation with his Lamborghini. Um, at least eight players had their cars towed for parking violations over the summer during practice as well. Defensive back Cameron Silman Craig recently posted a receipt that showed he paid over $3,000 for 52 parking violations, prompting an anonymous Colorado player to tell, um, to say, quote, it seems to be an ongoing problem on campus that needs to be fixed. We've had cars getting towed for parking near Folsom Field. Two-way star Travis Hunter also spoke out against Rash of Tickets, saying he is, quote, tired of paying them. <laughs> Man. Uh, along with Dion and Hunter, Shadour arrived at the University of Colorado this season after dominating at the FCS level with Jackson State. Although the Buffs hit the uh, skids since a 3-0 start, Shadour has put up monster numbers, completing 70.1% of his passes for 2,882 yards, 24 touchdowns, and only three interceptions. Unbelievable. Those are video game numbers from uh, Shadour. On Saturday, the 4-5 and 5 Buffaloes. Uh, earlier today, they lost via a walk-off field goal. Uh, against the number twenty three Arizona, oh, what is it? I forgot Arizona's team, but the University of Arizona. Um, yeah, so they they need to win. They need to win uh, two in a row to be bowl eligible. Do the Buffaloes, regardless of how the season ends. Dion strongly hinted this week that Shadour will return for his senior season in twenty twenty four. He may need to come up with a plan to avoid more more parking tickets in the future. <laughs> that needs to be figured out. Uh, But with that, let's transition to some MLB. It is the offseason and free agency. The hot stove should go. It should get crazy pretty soon. Um, Conflicting reports on Juan Soto. ESPN's Buster Only says three-time all-star Juan Soto is, quote, 100% going to be traded by the San Diego Padres this winter. Soto is currently set to hit unrestricted free agency in 2025. Only said on the Michael K show Friday afternoon, Afternoon, that Soto will quote absolutely be traded prior to the final year of his club controlled contract. Soto is projected to make $33 million through arbitration in 2024, per MLB trade rumors. The Padres have talked with Soto about his next contract, but are not close to agreeing on an extension, according to The Athletic. Soto led the National League with 132 walks last season as he had a 275 batting average with 35 home runs. The Padres had an estimated payroll of $255 million in 2023 well over the second tax, tax threshold of $233 million. It was a steep price uh, to pay for an 82-80 and record. The Athletic reported earlier this month that the Padres took out a $50 million loan to help cover those costs. Quote, all you have to do is look at the math, Only said, if in fact the Padres are going to get their payroll down to $200 million to do 20, which would be a massive reduction, they're going to have to make a move with Soto. Getting rid of Soto's $33 million uh, hit could be necessary to cut costs, especially given the weight of all the uh, immovable contracts, contract at the top of the Padres' payroll. You got Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, Joe Musgrove, and Yu Darvish. They're, they combine um, for a total of more than $78 million in 2024. Quote, those are, those are massive contracts that just can't be moved. So I do think Soto is going to be moved. People in other front offices absolutely believe the Padres are going to trade Soto. Only added that he saw Soto as the most logical target for the New York Yankees, a team which Uh, desperately needs left-handed batters as um, it was previously they previously the Yankees previously expressed interest in Soto the Padres have quote made it clear to the rest of the MLB that they will listen to offers for Soto this winter however Padres general manager AJ Preller said last month the team's quote first path with Soto would be to agree to an extension according to MLB.com so that is the latest on Juan Soto you know a bunch of conflicting reports are out on him we got more baseball to talk about as the wait for the Oryx Buffaloes to post Yoshinobu Yamamoto continues, both the New York Yankees and New York Mets appear ready to make their first, their best big offer uh, to sign the pitching sensation. Per SNY, the Yankees are believed to be, quote, strong contenders for Yamamoto, while the Mets will also be, quote, all over him when he becomes available. Uh, it was added that the feeling this week at the league's GM meetings is that the Mets will have a, quote, tougher time signing Yamamoto than the Yankees. Um, both are in though you never know the buffaloes announced on sunday that that they will be posting yamamoto for mlb teams although it's unclear exactly when that will happen once yamamoto is formally posted all 30 teams will be able to negotiate with him the signing team will owe a fee to oryx that is a percentage based on the value of his contract mlb.com noted there is an expectation yamamoto will receive a deal worth at least 200 million dollars per the new york post and mlb network the yankees and mets are among at least Eight teams expected to pursue the 25-year-old, the Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs, Los Angeles Dodgers, St. Louis Cardinals, Detroit Tigers, and Arizona Diamondbacks were the other clubs that John Heyman mentioned. It's not a surprise that the Yankees would be considered a frontrunner for Yamamoto, as they're in desperate need of impact starting pitching behind Garrett Cole. The right-hander was the only pitcher on their roster who made at least 10 starts and had an ERA under four last season. Yankees GM Brian Cashman has shown a willingness to be aggressive on the pitching market, Signing Carlos Rodon to a six-year $162 million deal last offseason with the hope that he could be the dominant starter, the big lefty um, behind Cole. But instead, Rodon struggled with injuries and consistency in his first season in the Bronx as he had a 6.65 ERA and allowed 65 hits in 64.1 innings over 16 starts. The Mets have tried to build their rotation around aging starters in recent years. However, they traded away Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer midway through last season amid a disappointing season. Even though the Mets are expected to be focused more on building for 2025 and beyond, adding Yamamoto would at least make them more interesting next season as they continue to add more young players to the major league roster and farm system. Obviously, you got fellow Japanese pitching sensation Kodai Senga uh, with the Mets as well. Yamamoto has won the A.G. Uh, Sawamura Award, I hope I pronounced that correctly, which is given to the top pitcher in Nippon Professional Baseball in each of the past three seasons. He also won the Pacific League MVP Award in 2021 and 2022. In seven NPB seasons, Yamamoto posted a 1.82 ERA with 922 strikeouts and 633 hits allowed over 897 innings in 172 appearances. Uh, so... He is a stud, and all I can say is whichever team gets him is very lucky, Uh, and I hope my uh, Dodgers pick up Yamamoto and Otani while they're at it. I mean, what a player Yamamoto is. Speaking of players, Jim Harbaugh. The Big Ten suspended Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh from being on the sideline during games through the remainder of the regular season uh, amid the NCAA's investigation into allegations of sign-stealing by the football program. ESPN first reported the ban Harbaugh will be allowed to coach during the week. While Harbaugh has yet to be disciplined by the NCAA, Pete Thamel reported on November 4th, the most likely outcome of the NCAA's investigation would be a suspension. Um, Michigan released a statement in response to the punishment. Friday's ban uh, marks the second time that Harbaugh has been suspended in 2023. The university issued a self-imposed three-game ban to start the season, stemming from alleged recruiting violations that occurred during a COVID-19 dead period. Per an October 19th report from Yahoo Sports, the Wolverines were being investigated for allegedly violating NCAA rules that prohibit in-person scouting of future opponents. Um, it was noted that a low-level staffer from Michigan was at the center of the investigation and had purchased tickets under his own name to more than 30 games at 11 different Big Ten schools over the past three seasons. Harbaugh said in a statement about the investigation that he had no knowledge of illegal sign stealing on the staff, but that, he, that, but that he would fully cooperate with the NCAA. Uh, His statement read, quote, I do not have any knowledge or information regarding the University of Michigan football program illegally stealing signals, nor have I directed any staff member or others to participate in an off-campus scouting assignment. I have no awareness of anyone on our staff having done that or having directed that action. I do not condone or tolerate anyone doing anything illegal or against NCAA rules. No matter what program or organization that I have led throughout my career, my instructions and awareness of how we scout opponents have always been firmly within the rules. Pursuant to NCAA rules, I will not be able to comment further while this investigation takes place. The University of Michigan announced on November third that um, someone, that um, Michigan staffer, uh, what was his name, Connor Stallions uh, or Stallions, resigned from his position after reportedly refusing to cooperate with any internal or external investigations. Oof. Amid the investigation, the Wall Street Journal Journal reported the school rescinded a contract offer to Harbaugh that would have made him the highest paid coach in the Big Ten. Wow. However, per Michigan Insider John U. Bacon, school administrators are, quote, proceeding with Harbaugh's contract. He previously signed a five-year deal in February 2022 that tied him to the Wolverines through the 2026 season. Amid speculation, the Big Ten was going to hand down punishment against the program. Uh, it was reported that Michigan issued a 10-page report to the conference objecting to any discipline and included documents and pictures of its own offensive and defensive signals allegedly being stolen by other Big Ten teams. Uh, the discipline comes as the Wolverines are, are preparing to play Penn State on Saturday in a matchup of two top 10 teams. Michigan is 9-0. They're currently number three in the college football playoff top 25 rankings. The Wolverines have won 22 of the last 23 games, dating back to the start of the 2022 season. More on Michigan and Penn State soon. But first, we got some college basketball to talk about. We got some college basketball. Yes, sir. Yes, we do. Number 12, Arizona was given only a 21.7% chance by ESPN to beat number two Duke on the road on Friday night. Arizona guard Kylan Boswell wasn't phased by those odds. The 18-year-old recorded 12 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals to lead the Wildcats to a 78-73 upset of the Blue Devils. Um, man, Boswell was one of five Arizona starters with a double-digit points total. Joining forward Kishar Johnson, who had 14 points. Center Umar Bello with 13 points. Guard Pell Larson with 12 points. And guard Caleb Love, the former UNC Tar Heel, With 11 points, college basketball fans were impressed by the starters' contributions, especially from former UNC starter and Duke rival Caleb Love. Uh, It may be just the second game of Arizona's season, but the win had some fans expressing high hopes for the 2023-24 Wildcats campaign. I mean, you know, shocking the number two Duke Blue Devils is massive, massive for them. The Wildcats are hoping to end this, this season with their NCAA tournament run in as many seasons. For now, the team will focus on their next game Monday against Southern University. With that, we are now going to transition back to some MLB. You know, we had to do it to him. San Diego Padres right fielder Fernando Tatis Jr. and Cleveland Guardians infielder Andres Jimenez have won the 2023 Platinum Glove Award for the National League and American League, respectively. Tatis Jr. recorded a career-high 283 put-outs as he spent most of his time in the outfield this past season, winning the first Gold Glove Award of his career to put him in Platinum Glove qualification. Meanwhile, Jimenez turned a career-high 87 double plays in 150 games while winning a second straight Gold Glove Award. Uh, Tatis Jr. and Jimenez finished second and third amongst all MLB players with 27 and 23 dif- defensive runs scored. I wonder who was first. Uh, the former shortstop became the first player in Padres history to win the award after it began in 2011. He breaks Nolan Arenado's streak as the eight-time All-Star had been named the best defender in the National League for six straight years. Meanwhile, Jimenez is the second player from Cleveland to be named a Platinum Glove Award winner after Francisco Lindor earned the honor in 2016 in a year where the Cleveland Indians should have won the World Series. Now we're going to switch gears to the NBA, specifically LeBron James. Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James came out of Friday's 122-119 to victory over the Phoenix Suns in some pain. James told reporters after the game that his shin is, quote, pretty sore after taking an inadvertent hit from Kevin Durant in the first quarter. The Lakers forward was diving to the basket when KD's knee hit his lower leg. He went to the bench for treatment and was seen stretching his leg at times during the game. You would never know anything was wrong based on LeBron's stat line as he posted 38 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists in 36 minutes. The Lakers snapped a 3-game losing streak and earned their first road win of the season. Their ability was something of a question mark coming into the season for LeBron, as considering that the 2023-24 season is the 21st of his NBA career. There are plenty of miles on his legs, and he hasn't played more than 67 games since the 2017-18 season. I have a feeling he's going to change that this year. I think he'll be more durable. Uh, While LeBron might be past his peak, he is still among the best players in the league and the world, and was largely excellent for the Lakers last season, as he averaged 28.9 points, 8.3 rebounds, and 6.8 assists per game last season. Uh, He's followed that with 25.2 points, 8.4 rebounds, and 5.4 assists so far this year. Head coach Darvin Ham previously spoke about wanting to keep LeBron on a bit of a minutes restriction just to avoid wearing him down over the course of a long season. He's currently averaging exactly 35 minutes a game in nine games. The Lakers are off Saturday before hosting the Pearl and the Trailblazers at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Sunday. If LeBron's shit is still bothering him, it wouldn't be a surprise if they try to give him a day off to avoid risking uh, you know, further, further injury issues. With that, we're going to switch gears back to the NFL, specifically the aforementioned arizona cardinals and kyler murray multiple nfl executives believe that the arizona cardinals will encounter serious trouble if they attempt to trade quarterback kyler murray quote that's just not a tradable contract one nfl executive told the athletic moving that contract is problematic another executive said murray signed a signed a five-year deal worth 230.5 million dollars that run through 2028 um, as The Athletic noted, he's due a fully guaranteed $35.3 million salary next season, and he'll get another $11.9 million for 2025 if he's on the roster on March 17th, 2024. If the Cardinals want to move Kyler, they'd likely prefer to do so before March 17th to avoid incurring that hit, but that puts Arizona in a, in a bind with other teams in negotiations given the desperation to get rid of him. Quote, as another team, why would I do that? they probably just cut him. The Cardinals are at a crossroads right now. If the season ended today, they will hold the number one overall pick, meaning a change, uh, a chance to start, uh, yes, a chance to draft someone like uh, USC's Caleb Williams. Ultimately, the 1-8 Cardinals should likely be in a position to pick high come April, no matter what. Murray is coming off a torn ACL, suffered last December, but he's set to make his 2023 debut on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. The 2019 Associated Press Offensive Rookie of the Year flashed at times during his four-year career, most notably when the two-time Pro Bowler accounted for 66 total touchdowns in 2020 and 2021, leading the Cardinals to the 2021 playoffs, where they got fucked up by the Rams. His most uh, recent year, 2022, was arguably his worst, with a career-low 6.1 yards per pass attempt and only 14 passing touchdowns through 11 games. His 87.2 QBR was also a career-low mark. Of course, the 26-year-old still has plenty left in the tank, and it's certainly possible that he can return back to that 2020-2021 form, but the Cardinals are under new leadership this year with General Manager Monte Fort and General Manager Jonathan Gannon and could be compelled to start with a new and perhaps higher ceiling player in the draft. If that's the case, uh, getting Murray off the roster will certainly prove costly, especially in dead cap money, and he could, in theory, just be released, but he doesn't have any guaranteed money due to him after 2024 either. For now, though, Murray is set to lead the Cardinals over their final eight games, beginning with a home game against Atlanta on Sunday at 4.05 p.m. Eastern, 1.05 Pacific. Um, Personally, as I talked about on the last episode with Shaggy, I don't think the Cardinals should trade Kyler Murray. I mean, he was literally a pro bowler two years ago. So, I mean, I think he's 26 years old. He's way too young for you to give up on him. I think he might be a competent franchise quarterback. No doubt. Uh, Now let's switch gears. Back to some NBA. The James Harden era with the Los Angeles Clippers is off to a rough 0-3 start, but the 10-time All-Star admitted he needs more time to get it in prime uh, condition before making any evaluations. Speaking to reporters, after the Clippers' 144-126 loss to the Dallas Mavericks, Harden said because he didn't have a proper training camp or preseason, he needs a 10-game window to, quote, kind of see where I am at uh, with this new team. Uh, he also said, for me individually, this is only my third game. I didn't have a training camp. I didn't have a preseason, so everything is still moving fast speed for me. I need about a 10-game window and then kind of see where I am from there. Harden reportedly left training camp with the Philadelphia 76ers on October 15th. He was doing individual work but not participating in team activities when he was around. The Sixers then traded Harden to the Clippers on November 1st. He made his debut with Los Angeles five days later against the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. In his first three games, he's averaging 14.3 points. On 54.2% shooting with 5.3 rebounds and 4.7 assists, he's been on the court for an average of 32.2 minutes per game. It's not a bad sideline for a player who didn't have a proper offseason and and is still learning to play with new teammates, but it's also a far cry from what Harden was doing with the Sixers last season, as he averaged 21 points and an NBA-high 10.7 assists per game in 58 starts. The Clippers have lost four straight games overall. Their their, uh, two lowest-scoring games were Harden's first two starts when they scored 97 points against the Knicks and then only 93 against the Nets. Dallas has 144 points scored on Friday night. were the most allowed by the Clippers in a non-overtime game since January 28th, 2017. Wow. When they lost 144 to 98 to the Golden State Warriors. Harden and the Clippers will look to end their losing streak against the so far abysmal Memphis Grizzlies uh, on Sunday at Crypto.com Arena. And with that, let's close out this wonderful episode of the one and only Sean Sports Stop podcast with some college college football. You got the aforementioned University of Michigan Wolverines against the Penn, Penn State Nittany Lions. Miles away in a hotel room surrounded by family and friends and his own complicated emotions. Jim Harbaugh sat dormant while his football team delivered its most convincing win to date. A victory that will elevate Michigan's case as the best team in all of college football. We'll get to the game, which moved at warp speed and offered little to no offense on either side. Michigan beat Penn State 24-15 on the road, enhancing its Big Ten and college football playoff resume greatly in the process. But it's hard not to start with Harbaugh, who found out he was being suspended by the Big Ten, as the team made the voyage to Happy Valley. An NCAA investigation is ongoing, as mentioned earlier, although this one will take time. The timing and circumstances surrounding the suspension are both cryptic and controversial. Um... As details of Michigan's sign-stealing scandal unfold, the conference decided to act even as more pieces of the situation continue to be put together. Harbaugh will not be permitted to coach in any of his team's remaining regular season games, although he will be able to still coach uh, during practice. The half measure is exactly that. Uh, further punishment could still come down. amid a call for action. However, new commissioner Tony Petiti delivered an immediate response. Michigan has since responded by filing a temporary restraining order, putting the Big Ten's decision in flux. A hearing is set for Friday regarding the restraining order. Perhaps Harbaugh will be on the sideline next Saturday in Maryland, or maybe the punishment will be enhanced. In short, stay tuned and we'll see what happens. As chaos further engulfed the Michigan program, however, the Wolverines reminded the rest of the sport that this current football team, under unbelievable circumstances, still has all the pieces that they need to win a national championship. In Jim Harbaugh's absence, offensive coordinator uh, Sharon Moore stepped in as head coach, While unusual, this is the second time Moore has coached the Wolverines this year with his coach suspended. That, of course, was for a different investigation and alleged violation. Yes, it's been that kind of season. Ultimately, the Michigan offense didn't do much largely because it wasn't asked to. In fact, for a prolonged stretch of time, they didn't throw the ball at all. Quarterback J.J. McCarthy, one of the favorites to win the Heisman Trophy, completed seven of his eight passes for 60 yards. That's that's crazy. The Wolverines plan to shorten the game. Uh, control the ball and kill the clock worked brilliantly. Running back Blake Corum ran for 126 yards and two touchdowns and did all that. Uh, he did all that was necessary in a game that Michigan largely seemed in control of the whole time. The game plan wasn't complicated or sexy. The plan to limit Penn State on the ground and force quarterback Drew Aller to make plays, which he could not, played out perfectly. Nittany Lions head coach James Franklin, who has struggled to win games of magnitude, struggled to beat a team without their current coach. Michigan went into the game in, into one of the nation's most difficult environments with Harbaugh watching the event unfold on a television down the street, and the team leaves together and still unbeaten until this week. We criticized Michigan's strength of schedule, and for good reason. The Wolverines plan uh, to reach this pa- excuse me path to reach this point while dominant has included a lack of meaningful opponents. In fact, until Saturday, one could argue that the best win of the season likely came against UNLV in the team's second game of the season. That change is now, albeit under such fluid circumstances. Although Harbaugh's inability to coach has undeniably been a distraction, it's also galvanized the Michigan program that needs no further motivation. Beyond motivation, the talent is exceptional. The Wolverines entered Saturday with the nation's number one scoring defense, and this unit delivered when it absolutely had to. Offensively, while McCarthy wasn't asked to do much against Penn State, He's shown considerable growth across the board this season. This group is balanced, deep, and very much in control of their football future, despite the endless sea of developments that seem to transpire each and every week. While Ohio State and Georgia and Florida State and others are still very much in the mix for a national championship, I mean, you got Alabama as well, Michigan feels a cut above in many respects. Granted, the limited status of one of the best coaches in all of football is concerning. Harbaugh's absence, uh, while somewhat familiar, is an undeniable hit saying otherwise would be misguided, but this is nothing new for a program that seems to thrive in anarchy. It's also a ritual that the team has been through, which enhances the rhythm moving forward. While the college football playoff selection committee has voted Georgia and Ohio State above the Wolverines in the first two weeks that rankings were released, this is more a matter of resume than roster excellence, and in the instance of Michigan, resume need not matter now. A home game against Ohio State, one of the most anticipated regular season football games in recent memory, is only two weeks away. The stage will be set, whether Harbaugh coaches or not. A third consecutive win over the Buckeyes would likely cement the Wolverines as the number one team in college football, heading into the conference championship weekend. This rise, of course, will not be widely accepted or appreciated. With further details of the scandal likely to be revealed in the weeks ahead, Michigan will become a more polarizing football program than they already are. (laughs) As all of it plays out in real time in courtrooms and conference rooms, one undeniable truth is taking shape. The program embroiled in an endless sea of controversy that has no end is also still the team to beat and the favorite to win the national championship. No doubt about it. So with that said, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Sean Sports Talk podcast. Over 41 minutes of scintillating sports talk. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's an honor for me to do this. I fucking love doing this shit so much. Um, and with that said, once again, thank you guys for listening. Shout out again to Crimson IT for sponsoring today's podcast episode. Uh, check out my episodes with Shaggy. We've done three thus far. More to come. We're going to start our own podcast as well that uh, delves into the, dives into the betting side of sports where you got, you know, parlays, odds, player props, spreads, all that good stuff. Uh, follow me on Instagram at elabusador62. That's E-L-A-B-U-S-A-D-O-R-6-2. Follow at Lenny's Picks for the best sports picks in the world on Instagram. That's Lenny's L E N N Y S P I. CKS. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate it so, so much. If you're still listening, I fucking love you. You're a G. Um, and with that said, I'll see you guys on the next one. This was episode number 415. I'll catch you guys on number 416 very soon. Have a great weekend. It's Saturday. We got UFC tonight. Life is beautiful. Life is amazing. It is what it should be. It is what you make of it. And with that said, I'm signing out. Love you guys. Peace.